I messed that up again. All right. Now we figured out the culprit. How's everybody doing today? We doing all right? Good. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. I hope you feel honored. I hope you feel spoiled today. You truly are one of the greatest gifts that God has given to us. And I have to admit, too, you make life fun. All right. Not only do you just keep the household together, but there's a lot of fun things that happen in the household. We have two boys in our family, a nine-year-old and a 13-year-old. And thanks to them, mom has a couple of phrases that are on repeat in our house all the time. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So like our house can literally go from, you'll always be my baby. You'll always be my baby to, I'm not your dad gum maid in a matter of three seconds. Y'all know what I'm talking about? A lot of other phrases that go on repeat in our homes are, did you even brush your teeth? Or why are you wearing a hoodie? It's 100 degrees outside. That one happens. My favorite one is this one with a hand. Can you, just, can you please put some pants on? That one happens in our house all the time. Where that's gross, go take a shower. Hear that one? And then sometimes I even get the phrase because around 11 o'clock on a Saturday morning, she'll then look at me and don't judge. It's five o'clock somewhere, all right? <laughs> and I'm like, I don't even want to know what's in your coffee cup, but hey, I won't say that that happened yesterday, all right? But anyways, no. We are so thankful. Seriously, moms, you make our life a joy, and we pray that you are honored uh, here today. But I do want to ask this question as we get moving into our topic this morning is, if I were to ask, are you a thankful person? What would your response be to that? Yeah. Sure, I'm a thankful person. You, you might say, yeah, I'm thankful. And you might even go to, yeah, I, I typically say thanks and I, and I treat people well. If someone gives me something, I, I, I say thank you. Well, let me go a little bit deeper. What gets the bigger megaphone in your life? Your problems or your praises? Your issues or your gratitude? Which one are you known for? Now, I think we would all agree that being thankful is a good thing, right? Uh, it's a good thing. Not only uh, are, were we trained to be thankful, but maybe you are even raising your kids that way. If you have kids, you, uh, you see that they get a gift from grandma and grandpa, and what do you say? Tell them what? Tell them thank you. We're going to give them a call and tell them thank you. Because saying thank you is a good thing. But we also know that the opposite of that is true as well. Praise or thanks not put on display comes across as ingratitude. And, and maybe you've heard this said about someone. They're so, what, ungrateful. Never has that phrase been used in a positive context. You don't want to be known as an ungrateful person. And so this is why we are trained or we have trained or continue to train our kids to say thank you, giving them the death stare, right? Say thank you. Right? And even if it doesn't come across from a heart of gratitude, it's just like, thank you. Right? But what if being thankful, what if being thankful wasn't meant to be a momentary expression of thanks? But what if it was meant to be a way to live? What if being thankful wasn't reserved for moments of receiving gifts, but instead 
It was to be a continuous posture of our heart and of our life. Thankfulness is actually the answer to one of the deeper questions in life. Have you ever asked this to God? God, what is your will for my life? God, if you would just tell me what you, what, what you want me to, what you have for me. God, would you just tell me, will you reveal your will to me? Anybody ever ask God that question? I think we have at some point in our lives, right? God, just tell me your will. Well, the author of 1 Thessalonians makes it really simple. Look at, look at what he writes. There's no question about this. Give thanks in all circumstances. Why? For this is what? Have you ever wondered what the will of God is? For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Thankfulness is the natural response to the goodness and the mercy of God in our lives. So why is thankfulness so important? Because it helps to remind us that we're not self-sustaining. It helps us to remember that we have a dependence and a true need for God. I would like to introduce you this morning to the McBride family. first baby, you think you're going to be able to 
And I remember he really told us those two routes we could take. He paraphrasing, he said you could be very extremely cautious and make your book almost like a little longer. Or you can let God decide when it's time for him to go and you love him and live life to the fullest with him. And that's what we chose. It was truly a beautiful soul and broken body. When I see the impact that Nathan's life has made and still continues to make, he passed away in 2016, so 21 months old. The fact that we can still share our story and still talk about him, he's still making a difference. Like he is still, he was put on this earth for a reason. Like a couple of my friends would tell me they prayed more because of Nathan. Okay, that's why Nathan is here. That's why he was given to us. He's so much bigger than how short his life was. Mm -hmm. His life short is this already, and when you lose a son that young, you realize how quick it is. No, I don't get to see him running around. I don't get to, I mean, he had the curliest hair. I don't get to see that hair and that personality come together, and I don't get to see these little hands that are holding my finger. I don't get to see them push cars and play in the dirt or pick up a baseball bat. I'm not ever going to be able to see that. But as I'm laying there and his machine's hooked up next to me, I'm hearing him breathe, I'm hearing the machine going, it's like, you know, I, it, was, it was just one of those moments like, I don't get this, but I get, at least I get this for a little bit. I just don't, I don't feel any anger towards God. How can I? You know, sometimes people get scared to ask me about Nathan. They think he's going to upset me and whatnot. But I just can't help but smile when I do talk about him because he was... He was just beautiful. And he couldn't talk and he couldn't see, but he did more than I think I could probably do in my lifetime touching people. Thank you for sharing your story with us, Matt and Christina. Um, it's a gift from God that we got to experience that and just be let in on this story. But what got me about this was when Christina mentioned, how could I even be mad at God? Like how, how could I be mad at God? The goodness and mercy of God was so deeply rooted in them that it allowed them to give an expression of thankfulness even in the most difficult of times. So let me ask that question again. Are you a thankful person? What's louder in your life, the problem or the praise? The book of Luke gives us some great insight into the problem and the praise in the lives of 10 men in particular. And these men are desperate for miracles. So I want to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 17. And my hope this morning is that we can walk out of here going, God, yes, it is possible, not just for me to have a moment of thanksgiving, but for my life to be a continuous outpour of gratitude and worship to you because of how good you are, regardless of the situation or the circumstances that I'm going through. Luke chapter 17, let's take a look at their problem. On the way to Jerusalem, he, Jesus, was passing along between Samaria and Galilee, and as he entered a village, he was met 
by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. Now, it doesn't take us very long for us. Can you go back, please? It doesn't take us very long to see the problem. He was met by what? Ten lepers. Jesus comes across the village, and before he even enters, there's this group of ten men who have leprosy. And leprosy uh, was a skin and nerve disease, and it was highly, highly contagious. It would often attack the nervous system. Uh, A leper wouldn't be able to feel pain, but their joints and their skin and their muscles would just over time would rot away. Anyone living with leprosy had to be outside of the city and they couldn't come into close contact with anybody in the family, with anybody, your family. This could have been probably the most difficult part of all of it. I mean, imagine living a life where you could no longer experience the touch of a human. At most, you could glance at your kids, but no daddy running up to you. Daddy, daddy, no, no kiss from the wife, good night. Just wasn't going to happen. That wasn't in the cards for them. On top of that, it was also psychological and mental as well, too, because people would think a certain way about people who had leprosy. The first question that would come to their mind is, I wonder what sin they committed. Why would God curse them like this? Or why would God allow something like this to happen to them? They must have done something really, really bad, something horrific. Lepers, they, were, they had to wear torn clothes. They had to wear their hair down. And if anybody came within a matter of 15 to 20 feet away from them, they would have to declare themselves as unclean. They would have to scream this out loud. Leprosy was a disease that was incurable by man. So basically, they had to stand at a distance and watch other people live as they slowly died. Do you see the problem? This was, a, this was horrific for these 10 lepers. This isn't just a, a, a cute little story in scripture. This were 10 lives that were just in complete turmoil and shambles. And then they see Jesus. And they raise their voices. They yell at Jesus for a miracle. Look at verse 14. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. Here's what's interesting about that. The priests were the only ones who could declare them cleansed and admit them back into society. But the problem still existed. Jesus, at this point, hadn't healed them yet. He said, go. That seems like a weird command. That wouldn't be the command that I would be expecting. I mean... Can't you just heal me from here, Jesus? Can't you just raise your hand over me? No, you're not going to do that. You're going to make someone who is possibly on crutches, whose bones are deteriorating, whose skin is turning black, whose nerves can't feel anything, and you're going to tell me to go somewhere? You're going to tell me to do something? But these men knew what Jesus was capable of. They had heard about his miraculous healing power and 
they were desperate. Like, they had no other options. So the problem is, we have leprosy. There's nothing that anybody can do about it. Jesus, we're desperate for you to do something. We have no other hope. And Jesus says, go. Let's finish out the verse. And as they went, they were cleansed. So, first of all, we have the problem. Secondly, now, we have the miracle. And this, by definition, is literally walking by faith. If you've ever heard of that phrase before, that is what this is. Go. And these men said, we're going to go. And as they walked out of obedience and faith, they believed something was going to happen. But, notice this, they were obedient to the command of Jesus before they experienced the miracle. I think for many of us, we get that backwards. We want the miracle, but we're not ready to walk in obedience. We want a changed life. We want to be delivered from our circumstance, but we're not we're not ready. We're not in our minds. We're not determined to walk in faithful obedience. Some of us, maybe we have walked in obedience for a long time, and I just want to encourage you this morning, stay faithful in that. Jesus sees faithful obedience, and he delights in that. But this is where the story turns, because we could have just left off right here. The author of this, but Luke could have just been like, what a great story. Ten lepers, here's a huge problem. They walk in obedience. Jesus honors that obedience. They're cleansed. Their life is better. They get a return to their families. End of story. What a great message. But that's not what happens. Verse 15, he continues because he wants his readers to really listen in here. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And Luke includes, now he was a Samaritan. Now let me ask this. How many lepers in this story were there? There were ten. How many of them walked in obedience? Ten. How many of them had faith and were healed? We're getting this. Ten. But how many returned? One. But Luke wants to make this distinction. When he saw that he was healed, something in his soul said, I'm different. I am changed. I, I get to go back and hug my wife and my kids. I get to get incorporated back into a job. I get to be around people. I get to go to the synagogue. I get to go to celebrations and weddings. I have my life back. But he turns back, and instead of going and living his life and enjoying the gift that God has given to him, he says, no, not yet. But he turns back, and he comes back to Jesus. And Scripture says, praising God. This, this word praising God in scripture is giving high worth back to God. It literally means his praise was abundant and fierce. But he was the only one that turned back. That leads me to ask, why? 
Was it because only his life? I mean, all of their lives were changed. It wasn't just him who got to go back to his family. Everybody got to go back and got to experience the blessing of God in their lives. Every single one of them. They were now not known as horrific people, people accusing or wondering what in the world did they do to deserve such a thing. They weren't outcasts anymore, but they didn't turn back. Now, Jesus is trying to make a point. He's going to ask this question in verse 17. Jesus answered, we're not 10 cleansed? Of course, he knows the answer to that question. Well, where are the nine? Verse 18, was no one found to return and give praise to God except for this foreigner? In verse 19, the author writes, and he said to them, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. The first time he tells them to go, and he walks in obedience. The first time was about physical healing, and the second declaration of go, your faith has made you well, the second go was a declaration of a spiritual healing and wholeness. Now notice, Jesus didn't say this. Hey, you said thank you. Your gratitude has made you well. Your thankfulness has made you well. No, he said, your faith has made you well. So I want you to nerd out with me for just a second because this word faith has big implications. In the Greek, it's this word called pistis. And it means not just faith, but it means faithful. The Samaritan didn't just have faith. They all had faith. But what the Samaritan had was saving faith. And how we know that is because saving faith always brings you back to God and stirs your soul to give praise and gratitude. It's the one thing that set him apart from everyone else. His faithfulness to return and to throw his gratitude and praise on Jesus was evidence of saving faith. All of them had faith, but not all of them had saving faith. His, wasn't, his faith wasn't just intellectual. There is a faith that believes, and there is a faith that returns. There is a faith that comes back, or there's a faith that asks, and there's a faith that comes back to display gratitude. The Samaritan wasn't just content to be healed. He wanted to close the loop of gratitude. Why? I think it's because he knew who he was and where he was before Jesus. The miracle didn't cause him to forget his desperation. He knew his disease was incurable by man and it needed a touch from God. Disease had taken away his life, but Jesus had made him whole. He knew that Jesus wasn't just someone to exist to make his life better. He was the one who authored and gave him life. He remembered the depths from which he had been rescued and in him that stirred a spirit of thanksgiving that the only thing that he could do is to come back to Jesus and to throw himself on his feet. 
This is why so oftentimes in scripture, God invites us and tells us to build altars of remembrance. When the Israelites were delivered, God would say, build an altar of remembrance so that way when you see this, you will remember from which you had been saved. You see in the New Testament, Jesus breaks the bread and drinks the cup. And he says, do this in what? In remembrance of me. Why does he continuously tell us to go back to remembering him? Simple. Because it's so easy to forget sometimes, isn't it? Sometimes we let our problems scream louder than our praises. And that's what happens when we fail to live in remembrance of what God has done for us. So, does your praise echo louder than your problem? I really believe this. The evidence of someone who has a changed life is expressed through thankfulness. And thankfulness always leads to worship. Thankfulness was never meant to be a momentary expression or just a couple of words that we throw out, but a continuous response in the life of a believer who remembers what God has done in their life, remembers the sacrifice that he made to not just make us better, but to make us whole. There are seven words, I love seven words for praise and thanksgiving in the Old Testament. And the author of Psalm chapter 100 and verse 4, he uses four of those words. Look at, look at this verse. Scripture, this isn't just, hey, go to church and give your thanks. Enter into the synagogue. But he says, enter into his gates, into his presence with thanksgiving. He says, and then enter into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. Now we could read that and we could just go, we're supposed to be thankful people. And yes, but dig into this a little bit with me because the words that he uses here are fantastic. This first one, enter into his gates with thanksgiving. This is tada praise. We, we've mentioned this before. This is a thanksgiving choir. Let your praise be loud. Let it be louder than your problem. So when you enter into his gates with thanksgiving and when you enter with praise here, it is about let your thanksgiving be loud. Let it be louder than anything when you enter into his presence. And the second one, enter into his courts with praise. It's not the same word. It's, it's a word, tehillah. And this is a song of thanksgiving. When you enter and when you enter loud, Enter with a song of gratitude and thanks for what God has done. Let this be the posture of your life. And then he continues, give thanks. A completely different word. This is yada, praise. Give thanks. This is giving thanks with hands extended. This is saying, God, I need you. This is me just pouring my heart out. I'm coming in loud. I'm coming in with a song of thanksgiving, and my posture before you is, God, I need you. And then the last one, bless his name. This is Barak praise. And Barak praise is kneeling 
on your knees in thanksgiving. It is a recognition of humility. He could have used the same word, but David says, no, when you come into the presence of the Lord, come in loud. And when you come in loud, have a song of thanks. Let your words edify who God is. And may your hands be extended, recognizing that he is worthy. And may you be on your knees in humility. This is not the type of moment we are to enter into the presence of God. This is recognizing that we live in the presence of God and our lives should be an outpouring of thanksgiving. So, I'll ask again, what about you? Are you thank-filled? Is your life an expression of praise? You might go, man, I've kind of thanked God every now and then for something, but it's really just been a rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub, go God. You know, like you haven't been like really into expressing and pouring out your heart before the Lord. That happens. I get it. I'm there with you. And oftentimes, one of the things that robs us of that is this word called comparison. Comparison can be one of the biggest gratitude killers of our day. It's not hard for us to look at the lives of other people. They're so accessible to us. And it can cause us to focus on what we don't have instead of being thankful for what we do have that God has given to us in Christ. So how do we combat this? How do we deal with it? How do we combat comparison? We war against comparison with praise. Set up reminders in your life of how faithful God has been. And not just for how faithful that he's been in your life, but you really want to crush comparison? Thank God for what he's doing in other people's lives, even if you don't think that they deserve it. This can be hard for us because you may have been, like some of these lepers, walking in faithful obedience Knowing that God, you asking for God to work a miracle in your life, and God's asking you to continue to walk because maybe one day that miracle will be around the corner, but right now he's looking for your obedience. He's looking for you to keep your eyes on him. He's looking for me and you to live in remembrance of how good he is. So if you're having an issue with comparison, I invite you to crush that with praise. Second thing I would invite you to look internal because some of these joy robbers, these praise robbers, we can just completely miss out on them because of what we're going through. What is God doing in your life right now that you might not be able to see? There's a good chance that we might be taking something for granted. It might be a struggle that you're having with a job. It might be a relationship issue. It might be a, a wayward child. It might, be a lo- it might be loneliness. It might be an addiction that you haven't been delivered from yet. Your situation, though, is in the hands of a God who is good. 
So the invitation is to walk by faith in obedience even before you see the outcome. And just remember, green pastures typically start with manure. It does. Embrace the manure. Embrace that. Because God is up to something. God is changing you. Don't miss out on it by looking at someone else and being jealous of what's going on in their life. It will rob you of an opportunity to praise in the middle of the difficulties. So what if it were possible? Let's go back to this verse in 1 Thessalonians. What if it were possible to actually give thanks in all circumstances? Because it is God's will for our lives. Paul says, yeah, it is. It absolutely is. I shared with you a couple weeks ago um, a video that had popped up in my memories of the conviction that I had from my four-year-old son at the time who was leading us in prayer at the dinner table and he would just look up and whatever he looked up and saw, that's what he was thankful for. Thank you, God, for doors. Thank you, God, for windows, for, window, uh, for plants and for trees. Thank you, God, for shelves and for flowers. Maybe we've come to the table with the expectation that God owes us these things. If I were to have you take out your notes right now, or if you're taking notes, if I were to ask you to answer this question, what does God owe you? What would you write down? Oof. Shoot, as faithful as I've been to church, as much money as I've given, as kind as I've been, what would we write down? Would we all agree in large part? That's kind of a silly question, isn't it? When we step away from things and we go, what does God really owe me? It puts things into perspective a whole lot easier, doesn't it? It helps remind us that everything that he gives to us is a gift, even if it's a child and it's been a short time that we get to spend time with him. Starts to hit home a little bit more, doesn't it? So let's kill this idea of entitlement through thanksgiving. Maybe your first step today is to make a list. And I'd invite you to start small. For a week, maybe, maybe you can do this for a week at night. Before you go to bed, write down three things in your life that you want to praise and give God thanks for that happened in your day. Maybe you just look up and you go, God, thank you for my bed cover. God, Thank you for air conditioning. God, thank you. Whatever it is, maybe you just write three things down. At the end of the week, you'll have 21 reasons to praise. 
And then I would invite you to take those 21 reasons and put them on repeat. And what I'm confident in is you'll start to see a shift that takes place. Our social media posts might go from, woe is me, how I'm ever going to do this, and trying to clickbait people, right? Maybe those things switch into, God is so generous and good to me. But that expression of praise and thanksgiving doesn't start online. It starts in our hearts. I love this idea. There's a family in our church that has praise buckets. I tried it, failed miserably at it, right? They have praise buckets. They put them in the rooms of their kids and every night or weekly or however, they write down a praise that they're thankful for to God and they put it in the praise bucket and at the end of the year, they have hundreds of reasons to praise God entering into the new year. Great idea. But for us, let's start with just finding reasons to praise the Lord. It might be in the hand that you're holding that's right next to you. Even in the middle of the fight, husbands and wives, you could be angry right now. Things could have been gone, gone bad on the way here today. But you know what? You have someone to walk through that with you. For some of you, you've had that and you've experienced years of that. And now that season of your life has passed on. Find a reason to celebrate and to be thankful for God. Church, what if we could do this? What if we could give thanks in all circumstances? What if we were known for our thankfulness? What if we entered into the presence of God on a daily basis with hands extended, knees bowed, with a loud song of praise and thanksgiving because we went back and remembered the goodness of God in our lives? Church, what if we were known for that? You wouldn't have to go out and tell people about Jesus. Your praises would echo far louder than your problems, and God would honor that. So let me ask you this morning, what is louder in your life? I hope and pray that you can enter into a place, even today, of just saying, God, you are so, so good to me. Father, thank you not just as an expression of gratitude with our words, but literally as an expression of our hearts. God, thank you for the goodness that we get to experience every day in our lives. God, that for the believer that's in here, Lord, the miracle that has been performed in our life is God, you took us from death to life. You didn't just do something in our lives for us to walk on and to carry on about our day, but God, you did something deeply rooted and ingrained in our hearts that changed us. God, we are the only people, Christians are the only people in this world, God, that have been given a song to sing in the middle of turmoil. We know that we can trust you and that you are good. And we know, God, that you honor faithful obedience even when we don't see the outcome. That is a reason in itself to praise. 
So Lord, may the words that we sing to this song, maybe for some of us, it's getting on our knees and repenting of comparison and stepping into praise. For some of us, it's raising our hands and declaring your goodness. And for some of us, it's bringing a loud voice and not caring what anybody else around us thinks because we've been rescued, we've been redeemed, we've been saved. God, may our praise and our thanksgiving, God, may it not be reserved for a moment when a gift has been given, but God, may it be an expression of our life because you are worthy. We ask this in your name, I pray. Amen.